Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard and coming to you on a Friday morning. Just wanted to get you caught up on a few things, including both of the Hawks practices this week, Monday and Thursday. Uh, some interesting bits and facts from those, plus an update on the standings with just a handful of games left in the regular season. There's some clarity on who might be seeded where in terms of lottery odds uh, for the Hawks. As many other lottery races uh, are tending to space out a little bit, the one between the Hawks and the Mavericks is tightening up. Dallas lost Thursday night. What do you know? The Mavericks are now 3-15 since the All-Star break with the 29th best net rating, negative uh, 6.4. That net rating is actually pretty good compared to the Knicks, who have almost doubled the quote-unquote competition since the All-Star break, posting a negative 11.2 net rating, which is almost double as bad as every other team in the NBA. Uh, they are 3-14 and 14 since the All-Star break, the Knicks are. And the Knicks are starting to break away, if you will, in terms of the standings at the very bottom of the NBA. Uh, with the bottom four teams, there is starting to get a little bit of separation. There's at least two games separating all four of the bottom teams now, so it's it's starting to, to take shape. There are at least two games separating the bottom four teams in the NBA standings. New York, Phoenix, Cleveland, and Chicago from worst to quote-unquote best. Uh, there's two and a half games between New York and Phoenix, two between Phoenix and Cleveland, and two between Cleveland and Chicago. Uh, the bottom three teams, New York, Phoenix, and Cleveland, will have an equal chance of getting the number one overall pick at 14%. If Chicago stays where they are as the fourth worst team, they'll have a 12.5% chance at the number one overall pick. And the Hawks, if they stay as the fifth worst team, they'll have a 10.5% percent at the number one overall pick. Dallas has made a run at the Hawks. They are within two games of Atlanta in the standings. Two games with seven to play is pretty substantial, but uh, given the direction of the two teams since the All-Star break, the Hawks have been basically a 500 team and Dallas has basically been winning 20% of their game, so a, a two-game cushion isn't that much. Dallas is also gaining a little bit of separation from the teams closest to them in the standings. Dallas has the sixth-worst record. Memphis and Washington have the seventh and eighth-worst records, and Dallas is a game below Memphis and one-and-a-half games below Washington. Memphis is 5-5 five and five over their last 10 games. I've been watching some of their games. I've come up with a name for that Memphis team. I think I'm going to call them the Mississippi River Island of Misfit NBA players. 
featuring Mike Conley, who's obviously not a misfit NBA player, but man, the spare parts there, you know, you got Bruno Caboclo and Jonas Valanciunas and Tyler Dorsey and DeLon Wright, and they are a semi-competent basketball team. It's, it's hard to see Memphis at this point dropping below Dallas. Uh, Washington, on the other hand, is kind of a mess, but even they're four and six in their last 10 games. They have Bradley Beal. Uh, they're officially out of the playoffs now, but it's hard to see them dropping a game and a half to Dallas over the last six games of their season. So Atlanta's in a little bit of a race here. They're with, Like we said before, they're within two games of Dallas. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Again, given that the Hawks have been a very good team over the last month and Dallas has not been. What's at stake? What's at stake is that Dallas owes the Hawks a top five protected pick, and every time they drop a spot in the standings, that swap to Atlanta becomes less and less likely this year. If Dallas stays right where they are, they have a 37.2% chance of moving up into the top five spots. And if they switch spots with Atlanta, they'll gain about another 7% chance of keeping that pick to the point where it's almost, not quite, but almost a 50-50 chance of jumping in to the top five spots and keeping their pick. So, uh, you know, the difference between 37% and 44%, uh, you know, that that's pretty hefty and probably not one that the, the Hawks want to play. But at the same time, you know, it's hard for the Hawks to rein in what they're doing basketball-wise. They're, they're having a lot of success, and these are players that are going to be around for the long haul. Um, it's, it's hard to put any constraints on that, obviously, uh, even if Dallas may have managed to do it on their side. Yuck. If you listened to the podcast that I did with Tyler this week... You know, one of the things we talked about is where Trey ranks in the NBA in terms of the league's best passers. And it's obvious that he's in rare company. But one thing from the beginning of the season that I noticed was that the Hawks, while they might catch some of those passes that were the really special passes, sometimes they had... Con- trouble converting the passes that were obscene, right? The, the, the trick passes, the misdirection passes, the ones that you might not be expecting, you know, even watching at home on TV. Those passes, I think they were catching them off guard a little bit. If you watched Trey's passes, I mean, he's always there putting the ball in the best spots, you know, getting shooters exactly in their shooting pockets, you know, getting the lobs, exactly in the right spot for his dunkers. I mean, he he has tremendous accuracy. But at the same time, there was a misdirection to some of his passes that I think caught people off guard, caught some of his pass receivers off guard. Not to the point that they necessarily fumbled the ball out of bounds or it was a turnover, but just to the point where they might not be setting their feet the right way because the pass would come before they could make that mental note to themselves, okay, 
get into my footwork pattern to take a shot. So in talking to John Collins yesterday, that was one of the things I wanted to ask him, which is, you know, does Trey trick him? You know, when, when, when Trey fakes a behind-the-back pass or when Trey makes a behind-the-back pass, uh, when Trey does a fancy dribble, is he ever catching John off guard? And here's what John had to say about that. Does he ever trick you? Like, he tricks defenders. No. Like, he'll fake a behind-the-back pass. Do you ever, like, think that he's going to fake? And, you know? <laughs> okay, you caught up to it? Not anymore. It, he used to. Um, but when he, the first time he, I, I actually had a chance to play with him, I, I know I've watched him before, and I know he's looking for those type of passes that other guys aren't looking for. And I was ready for him because I know he likes to throw them. So I wanted, I wanted to be ready for him whenever he would like to throw it. If he has a point guard, if he throws it a couple times and he doesn't get it, the confidence goes away. So I wanted to make sure I was ready. Um, and I'm always ready for him, always trying to make eye contact and let him know I'm, I'm there with Speaking of Trey, the Hawks have played 75 games this season. Trey has played all 75. Uh, that's certainly good luck. It's certainly good health. Uh, it's something that has benefited the Hawks quite a bit. I wanted to ask him, you know, how close has he gotten to not playing? You know, sometimes when the players just kind of put their head in the sand and say, I'm playing, I don't care, I'm playing. And obviously, you know, he's not going to play through a broken leg or something like that. But there's a certain determination that I think you see in some players who just say, I'm going to play. It doesn't matter what happens, you know, if my body is close to being able to function at all, I'm going to play. So I wanted to ask Trey about that. How close has he been maybe to sitting out a game this season? What's the worst you've felt this season? Like, was, was there ever a point where you almost missed a game? Because you haven't missed one yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's definitely games where, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's, I take bumps in all the time. I have bruises. I have things that I, I fight through. But for me, that's... I want to be able to say I've played all 82 games and play at a high level, um, knock on wood, but that's, I mean, without a serious injury, I'm, I'm not going to be sitting out. So uh, if I can play and I can play at a high level um, and help my team, I'm going to play uh, regardless. Yesterday after practice, Trey described himself as six foot two and not very big. I wanted to ask him about that because it seems like over the course of the season he's gotten more defined. I mean, it looks like he's a little bit more muscular and he's playing with some of that strength. So I wanted to ask him if, if he's gained any weight or gotten stronger. And here's what he said. A minute ago you said you were six foot two, not not very big. Have you gotten bigger over the course of the year? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I like to think so. I'm uh, lifting as I do. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, all my off season for sure this summer, you'll see a difference. You reach out to Kyler about that same thing? Uh, about oh yeah 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 Kyler. Doubts uh, about the height? Yeah, Kyler. Kyler's Kyler's like me. It doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, how big you are. He, he even said it. I mean, you're the most dangerous person on the field. No matter. Looks like you might go number one. That's amazing. Yeah, if I was if I was Arizona, I would take your number one. Especially, <laughs> especially Cliff. Cliff is a good quarterback coach too. You guys are Oklahoma. Y'all don't get very tall. Nah, you do damage in the league though. <laughs> we took a turn toward Oklahoma football there at the end, but interesting to hear Trey make that comparison between himself and Kyler Murray. 
if you've read some of the things that I've written for Hawks.com over the course of the season, you know that you know one of the things I wrote about was uh, Jeremy Lin when he was at Golden State being tutored, if you will, by Lloyd Pierce when Lloyd Pierce was on the player development staff there. You know, it's one of the things that I think is an interesting topic. I think the Hawks have a a budding young coach with an incredible amount of potential. And so in that piece for Hawks.com, you know, one of the things we focused on, or at least I focused on, I'm sorry, was that you know, I wanted to get some backstory from some players in the various stops that Pierce has made across the NBA and, and, and find out some backstory on Pierce. But you know, now we're 78, 75 games into the regular season. So this week I, I took some time to talk to some of the Hawks veterans who have had a handful of coaches at the NBA level, college level, and before that, and just find out how Pierce compares to some of their previous head coaches and what they think of Lloyd Pierce. Uh, let's start with Kent Bazemore. Bazemore, at the NBA level, has played for Mark Jackson, Mike D'Antoni, Mike Budenholzer, and now Lloyd Pierce. And he's also seen some other guys who have risen to the NBA head coaching ranks like Kenny Atkinson. Uh, here's what Kent Bazemore had to say about head coach Lloyd Pierce. What's Lloyd Pierce like? You've had a bunch of coaches, college, pros. Like, if you had to say that certain personality traits are like his strengths, what would you go with? Um, talked about it earlier, but I think his patience is, is what you know, a lot of people hadn't really talked about. You know, as far as handling all of this, you know, he spent some time in Philly uh, with the whole trust the process thing. So this isn't anything new to him, and that's exactly what he bought in, you know, to Atlanta. You know, he could have been, you know, putting a lot of pressure on himself, you know, saying I'm a, I'm a head coach, I want to do well. But he bought in this even killness about him that, you know, it's, it's been very, very, uh, it's been very contagious. Um, you know, we, we approach practice every day. Like, you know, I mean, if you, you stripped away our record and you walked in here, you wouldn't think we'd be in the position that we were. Uh, music's playing, you know, guys are upbeat, the coaching staff's upbeat. And he always keeps practices, you know, kind of light, you know, uh, mood-wise. So, um, you know, he, I mean, he's been he's been outstanding as, as far as uh, you know, just just propelling this young team. I also asked Torian Prince about Lloyd Pierce. Prince had only had one prior NBA head coach, obviously Mike Budenholzer, but you know he's had other coaches in high school and college and so forth. You've had some coaches, college coach Bud. What's, what's it like playing for Coach Pierce? Uh, coach Pierce. Is Different than any of my coaches I've had in the past. Um, he's more, he's more player coach, I guess you could say. Um, kind of got a different connection with him as far as communication and just the vibe you get while you're around him. But um, it's not a bad thing at all. I like it. I'm looking forward to getting closer with him and um, building our relationship as he is going. Is is he as composed as he seems? Like on the sideline, he just looks like yeah, he, that's real. Yeah, hundred percent, that's real. Um, kind of helps us, especially um, us having some young guys that are just now getting through their first season. Um, it kind of helps being somebody who's been through um, a winning season and losing season and knowing the ups and downs of both and be able to shed his light and wisdom on the young guys. Yesterday on opening day for the Atlanta Braves, the Hawks had 
Braves legend, Hank Aaron, in the practice facility to talk to the players, to talk about some of the challenges he faced over the course of his career. I think it's clear that Lloyd Pierce has made a priority over on getting some Atlanta legends in the building to talk to the players. He's had Andrew Young, Dikembe Mutombo in the practice facility. You know, they've done some other things with Joseph Lowry, John Lewis. Pierce was good about describing, you know, the sorts of things that, that Hank told the team yesterday. And he also shed a little bit of light on the process of getting these sorts of things set up, these kinds of activities where they had you know, somebody with a long history with the city of Atlanta coming in the building and talking to his players. Hank was here. He was here. Uh, how did you come? How did that come about? It's been it's been our mission all year to, to get the city of Atlanta's finest in this building to speak to this team uh, about what it means to play in the city of Atlanta. I don't know if we can find a better athlete in the city of Atlanta than Hank Aaron. Uh, but you know, Erica Hill, who works for us and does a lot of community work, getting the speakers. Uh, she's been on this for a couple months, and you know, timing and dates are always tough. But uh, it was about as nice uh, a gentleman you'll ever have. And, uh, you know, he shared many stories uh, growing up in Mobile, Alabama. And, basically teach himself how to play and the difficulty of breaking the record uh, and all the threats and things that he had to go through, the hardships he had to go through. And You know, I thought it was appropriate because what he's talking about, was those are different types of pressures. Our players don't face the type of pressures that he faced. Uh, and I think it's important for them to understand everyone's facing different challenges and things of that nature. Uh, and you just got to find a balance to still enjoy the game, still approach the game. Whatever meant to happen is going to happen. He's going to enjoy the game and get the most out of the game. And he's still blessed to be able to talk about the game and still live and represent the city of Atlanta. And I thought it was an important message for our guys. I think this next little bit is my favorite clip from this episode. Torian Prince is having a surprisingly good season. I think because people you know, got some certain numbers and things in their head from the beginning of the season. You know, they kind of made up their mind on Torian's third NBA season. But he has gotten better and better over the course of the season. It's his first season in Lloyd Pierce's schemes. He routinely draws the most difficult perimeter defensive assignment from among the starters. So he, he does some stuff for the Hawks, and the stats are pretty good. They're starting to turn in favor of Torian. If you look at how he has performed since the All-Star break, the numbers are good. Since the All-Star break, when Torian Prince has been on the court, the Hawks have been plus 5.1 per 100 possessions. When he's been off the court, they've been negative 3.3 per 100 possessions. That puts Torian second among the starters, uh, just behind Dwayne Dedman. You know, the numbers for Torian since the All-Star break, and for the whole team, really, have been good since the All-Star break. They're 8-9 and nine with a positive differential 
since the All-Star break, and Torian has been a big part of that. If you look at his season-long numbers, those are pretty good, too. It's his third NBA season. He's setting a career high in field goal percentage. He's setting a career high in three-point field goal percentage. It's quite possible that he ends up being the only starter who shoots 40% from three. He's shooting a career high from two point percent on, on two-point field goals. And his free throw percentage is pretty much dead even with what he what he had last year. Uh, his assists are down, uh, but that's, you know, in part his minutes are a little bit down. And he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much. You know, they the Hawks experimented at the end of last season when they weren't necessarily at peak capacity. They they said, you know what, here's a chance to see what the what it looks like when Torian has the ball in his hands. And now it's in Trey's hands, so his assists should be down just based on the way the Hawks are playing. Uh, he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much. So, you know, there are some things that maybe could be better about Torian's game, but all things considered, he's really turned around his third NBA season. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask him was, you know, we just mentioned it a moment ago, you know, he was a focal point of the team last season. It wasn't a great Hawks team by any stretch. It wasn't one that necessarily captivated the imagination of the city, but you know, when you looked around the Hawks locker room and tried to say, okay, who's performing and who's going to be part of the future of this team, Torian was one of those guys. And now, you know, with John's emergence and, and with Trey being drafted, you know, it's a little bit of a different vibe in the locker room in terms of who are the leaders of the Hawks. And so I wanted to ask Torian about that. Is it hard? I don't know how to ask this question. Is it hard, like last year, right? You were kind of a focal point of the team. If somebody came in from New York to do a story on the Hawks, they were going to talk to Torrey and Prince, probably Kent Bazemore too. Mm-hmm. Now they come in from New York, they want to talk to Trey and John because they're, you know, John's having a great season and yeah. kind of Trey's brand new. Is it hard not being the focus? I wouldn't say it's hard. Um, it's a little different. You, you kind of set yourself goals, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's in the Bible and I think you got to live by this life and life too. Like, you got to sacrifice sometimes and, and do what's best for the people around you. I think. God tends to bless those people more than um, people think. So, I mean, it is what it is, man. I know what caliber of player I am and what I'm going to be, whether um, it's now or later. And um, it's destined. Nothing's going to stop me from getting there. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, All right. And to close, if you didn't read it yet, I have a story on Hawks.com about Trey and shooting floaters and some of his numbers on the floaters that he shot over the course of the season. I think it's an interesting story, but one of the things that ended up on the cutting room floor was Lloyd Pierce talking about Mike Conley Jr. and his approach to floaters. And Pierce was with Conley in Memphis for a couple of seasons when Conley was figuring out stuff like how to shoot a floater. And, and Pierce and Conley, you know, Pierce, Con, you, you heard on this podcast Conley say that Pierce was a big influence on him when Pierce was there in Memphis. Uh, And the reason I think it's interesting is because I had the numbers on floaters going into that uh, talk with Pierce, and Pierce brought up Conley unprompted, not knowing that essentially the only player in the NBA who had shot more floaters than Trey Young was Mike Conley. So I thought it was interesting to hear Pierce's perspective on Mike Conley shooting floaters. Trey won the game Saturday on a floater. We won the game. We won the game. Okay, that's true. But tra- tra- uh, the, the winning score was Trey hitting a floater. The last basket. The last basket. It's so difficult right now. 
No, you're fine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. And, Took uh, his whole train of thought out. No, just uh, over the course of the season, it looks like the numbers on his floaters have gotten a little bit better. Is that just sort of the entirety of the game slowing down for him to use that cliche, or is there anything they sort of cleaned up there? No, it's, I mean, it's a shot he's used his entire career. And, uh, you know, some nights where they, they're falling, and some nights, you know, volume shots. And the, the real, the, the floaters, some people can't shoot floaters because they don't, they don't have a feel of when and how to use it. There's sometimes where we're telling him he, can, he probably could have had a layup instead of shooting a floater. Uh, sometimes he's shooting them too far, and we have kickouts. So it's it's a it's a gray area of trying to figure out when and how to use it, and to to make sure it's the right shot. Uh, it, it may be the right shot for him. Sometimes it, it might not be the best shot we could have gotten on that possession. That one was the right shot. Got size and length. If he goes any further, Joel's at the basket. Uh, he's got Jimmy on his hip. He's able to, to get there before Jimmy can square him or use his athleticism. Jimmy was basically defenseless at that point. Um, so perfect shot, perfect timing. You play a lot of teams uh, you know, like Anthony Davis tomorrow, you're probably going to have to use the floater a little bit more um, because of the length at the rim and how they defend. So. I know he's used that shot a ton in his career. He's like everything; it's still trying to measure you know, right shot, right time, uh, right opportunity for us and for him. But it's fair to say that that's like an important shot, just in terms of being it able is. to balance. For, like for his any, outside any shot little guy shot. that gets in the paint, you, you have to have that. And I call it solutions. You have to have different solutions. Uh, I, I work with Mike Conley. <laughs> he's the one the guy that's, that's taken more than Trey. That's the best in the business. Okay. And, what hand do you think Mike Conley is? He's left-handed, isn't he? He's right-handed. He's right-handed. He's like Millsap. He shoots like with his left. One hand. He shoots <laughs> with his left. He's right-handed. Okay. All of his floaters are right-handed. Uh, he likes to drive on that left side and use the Smitty, but you put him anywhere else, he wants a good right. And, you know, he's probably the one guy in the league I have yet to figure out, you know, when you, you send CP left, you send Russ left. You send, you know, you know where he's, he's the one guy, I don't know which way you send him. You send him right, he gets to his floater and he's really good at it. You send him left, you send him Mike Conley left. <laughs> so he's the one guy I still haven't figured out. And I coach him, and I still haven't figured out which direction to send him. All right, then. Subscribe, rate, review. If you haven't already done so, go back to our pod earlier this week. The one I did with Tyler, it's always fun having Tyler on. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening and see you again soon.